Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in in what part of the country? Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We've got a really good show for you, great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we will be interviewing Rabbi David Zaklikovsky from the Hasidic Archives. He sent us a bunch of stuff, and this is stuff worth reading, really inspirational. And he's, a, he's quite a, uh, an erudite and uh, articulate fellow. Very, oh, this guy does research. You wouldn't believe in the second half hour of the show, we will be kind of focusing a little bit on the portion of the week, which is Yisro, found in the book of Exodus, chapter 18 and following. We've got music throughout the show, a really dynamic Hasidic story. This is one that's like mind-blowing. You stay with all the way to the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. <laughs> Israel blew up an Iranian drone factory with, what else, a drone? There's lots of comment back and forth, but Israel's taking it low on this one. In other news, a 13-year-old Palestinian shot an IDF commander and his father at the city of David in Jerusalem. The team was shot and killed. The soldier remains in serious condition. A Palestinian Arab ran his vehicle over two IDF soldiers who were standing at a hitchhiking point in Samaria and then fled the scene. The driver turned himself in an hour later, saying that it was an accident. The Palestinian was shot and killed as he tried to break into a village in central Israel. The gun of a Palestinian jammed as he tried to attack a restaurant near that same area. The attacker got away. U.S. Secretary Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, visiting in Israel this week, condemned the synagogue shooting last Friday that killed two people. In a public statement, Blinken said that Israel's security is top priority for the U.S. A Russian missile hit a 113-year-old synagogue in the city of Holyopol, Ukraine. An unconfirmed photo of the synagogue shows a massive hole in the building. What's going on inside is non-clear, and no one was hurt, as most of the city's 12,000 residents have fled. 
France updated its plan for fighting anti-Semitism and racism, which will require all French schoolchildren to visit the site of an anti-Semitic act. Interesting idea. Speaking of anti-Semitic acts, Temple Nair Tumid of Bloomfield, New Jersey, was firebombed. No one was inside at the time, and the building suffered little damage before the fire was put out. One person was arrested and charged with attempted destruction of a building using used for interstate commerce and also a hate crime. And finally, Bob Bourne, owner of the Just Bourne Candy Company that makes Mike and Ike's Goldenberg Peanut Chewies and Marshmallow Peeps, passed away this week. He was 98. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Shulfman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We are on live with Rabbi David Zaklakovsky. I am actually in awe of this person from the Hasidic Archives. How are you today, Rabbi David? Good morning. How are you? And good morning, Shabbos. Good, Shabbos, everyone. Thank God. Thank you. But thank you for asking. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about David Zaklakovsky first in Hasidic Archives. Um, you've you've written a lot of books. So, first of all, how do you have the patience? Why did you get interested in it? And how do you do it? So, it started when I was uh, around 16 years old. Um, did you say, did very, you say 16? 16. I began writing my uh, first articles, um, doing interviews, uh, searching through archives, and uh, slowly um, began, uh, you know, Finding information, learning how to how to find information. Um, it's a very long process, and uh, yeah. And from there, I moved on to writing longer articles, and then um, to writing books, which is a more recent uh, occupation for myself. Um, just around eight years. So originally, I was writing uh, just articles and short profiles and the like. Okay. Um, and why? So why? I. I That's a very, very interesting question. So I guess really for myself, it's a a journey. Life is a journey for everyone. But for me, it's learning from other people and uh, understanding how they face life challenges. And it's how I could apply it to my life. And, you know what I mean? And that's really the the crux of my my general philosophy of uh, looking back into history, seeing how they uh, face their challenges, and hopefully we could learn from them um, to be like them or not to be like them. So either way, from for myself. Okay. You have a cousin, Eliezer Zaklikovsky, who is now a Chabad representative in central New Jersey, who, when he was younger, was also 
doing uh, research, and he came out with a book about the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, and his father was also involved with research. Is this a Zach Lukowski thing? So very interesting you ask. I would say um, that we have very different styles, but we actually have a great uncle that we share a great uncle that we share together. Um, his name is God Zaklakovsky, who moved to Israel going back to the 1930s, early 1930s. And he was a famous uh, writer in Yiddish. So it's somewhere in our blood. But ultimately, I believe that it was my grandmother, Rebson Esther Bukit, who gave me the love for a story and, and how to tell a story and to probe um, and she listened, and that's where I contribute my, uh, my, um, you know, interest in, in getting a feeling for a true biography of a person. Um, and when I'm writing, and that's really for me, myself, and my interest, and when I tell people if I'm ever taking on a book, it's I'm not interested in the, the story that they want to create, you know, for the person. It's the story, the true story, and it's a very long, long process. Um, on average, a biography could take to write from three to seven years. Um, and some books I've been collecting information to write for my longest book, which is about my grandparents' a Holocaust story, um, Rabbi Chaim Meir and uh, Rabbi St. Esther Bukit. I've been working for a very long time. I've already started this during my grandmother's lifetime um, and then stopped um, for you know personal reasons um, that and that's ultimately it's been almost 20 23 years 24 years that I'm working on the book but a book about Amarmen Lefutafas my gulag life I've been collecting information about him for close to 13 years so it's it's a journey a book is a journey real uh... it's a, it sounds like a real process now so when you started you were in high school and I could imagine that some an extracurricular activity like this sort of maybe caught the ire of the Hanhala, the uh, the administration in the school that you were going to. Did they encourage you or say, uh, uh, David, how are you going to get smart if you don't learn? Like, why aren't you learning what you're supposed to be learning instead of writing these books? I most definitely have to credit the people of the, the various schools that I've been through um, that in encouraging what I was doing, being helpful to what I was doing, and ultimately giving me the process to channel channel my uh, my aspirations and for and you know what I mean and to make to make my my long uh, you know my my dreams possible, they were involved. You know, originally several people in the administration were actually involved in helping me finding information, um, and those people until today I'm in touch with, or some people who. You know, on the rail Swiebel, who, you know, seemed to be someone who was, you know, in another world, but he understood my passion and he helped me, you know, find sources of information. Um, and let's say it began in Marstown. So, which really, that's where I really, you know, found my, my passion was, you know, in writing was in Marstown. Although I started collecting materials before then, it, you know, archival materials. Um, it was there, and Robert Hurston, you know what I mean. Robert Hurston helped me with uh, with um, with with his archival material. That's the very first archive 
that I that he gave me full access to. And there's a chapter in my book, Dear Rebbe, which came from those materials back, you know, that I got when I was 17 years old, which was sitting by me, and I was getting obviously more information and more information over the years. So as I was saying, um, stories happen over long periods. A good story happens over even a longer period, meaning, um, you know, we all live through daily life, and no one expects from that day of life a story to be written about them and no one lives so a story should be written about them and usually those people who do live that a story should be written about them no one ever writes their story but when you're writing a book it's not just you know it's boring to just write something that you know will happen to the daily person you're creating a a narrative and narratives are coming from a large you know what i mean amount of information and different different ideas that you hear from many different people. So a book could take interviewing some 220, 250 people. And, you know, the, the way my mind works, and that's, I believe, is the blessing of my life. Um, that, that, you know, God, God blessed me to me. This is it. The, the ability to take that information, to take those stories, to take those documents and create a story out of that information. Um, and that's, that's what makes the good book. Um, to me, but that I I personally don't believe that the person who I'm writing about ever thought of, or for the most part, ever thought of their, you know, their life being written that way, or you know, me taking that information and creating it um, in, in, into what it is. They were just living their life, and that's and that's you know that's okay. But for me, the creating of the story of the information is 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 the is the challenge, and ultimately the greatest the greatest gift. Okay, our guest today, if you're just joining us, is Rabbi David Zaklikovsky from Hasidic Archives. He is a biographer, has written numerous uh, books at this point. So, David, take us through the process. How does a book develop? How do you pick a topic, and then how do you go about researching that topic? So, it's a long process, like I was saying. So, it begins with uh, trying to find every written piece of information about the person. Um, it's interviews they gave, the letters they wrote, the, the letters that people wrote to them, the, the stories that people tell over and, or written or spoken about them. Um, and then trying to figure out the time and the place of, of where this is happening, like what's interesting about it, what's different, how could, how could we learn from, you know, from, from that period of time to make sure it's placed in historical context? And then I do start doing interviews with, um, with family, with people who knew that person. Um, and then ultimately, I'm having a lot of conversations. So I can't, I can't say that that a book happens on its own in my own brain. I speak a lot to people about my ideas. Um, if it's just my, my friends, my, my, my colleagues, uh, someone I meet in the street, someone who knew this person, and I share the ideas of what's you know, percolating in my, my mind. Sometimes those ideas turn out to be true. So, sometimes those ideas turn out to be, oh, no, it doesn't work. Like I was saying, the story, the story that I'm creating, the interesting Part that happens in a long in a, in a long process of, of of percolating the information um, between several different people, and hopefully we come out with something interesting 
of, 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 of a book. Um, but the very first thing for me, I tell us to every single person, if they ever come to, to write a book or they want to write about someone is that you got to clean the slate. Whatever you thought about that person before has to go into the garbage. Um, I'm not talking about the information that you have about them, but literally the, the preconceived notions that I have about that person need to be left on the side, need to be placed into a filing cabinet, and I need to start from scratch from, 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 from where I'm holding. Um, and that's ultimately the way um, a story comes down on a piece of paper to, to, to come. Now, the actual writing process is, uh, is, very, uh, is very, very difficult to say, you know what I mean, to actual, the very first paragraph of a chapter the opening of a chapter is the hardest, um, the hardest to come to, to begin. And once you have that opening, um, it could take, it could take, you know, a few hours or, or even less for the rest of it to come. But that opening, opening of a chapter is very hard. At times you need to totally remove yourself from the topic for a few days, could be even a week until you could actually, you know, begin writing it, you know, from, from your, from, uh, from scratch. But yeah. It's 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 uh it's tough. I would say another thing for myself, and I don't know, you know, for most people it doesn't um doesn't uh doesn't really work, is that I have a lot going on. Um, I'm not working on one book. I currently I'm working on I think uh, 13 different projects, um, books. So I have the liberty to be able to take that um, process. So I was saying removing yourself from the material. I have the ability to to work on a different project, which I removed myself, you know, a few weeks ago from. Um, and that's the only way that I could survive doing what I do. If I was just working on one book project, I wouldn't be able to survive, um, you know, off of writing. So that's the... 13 projects at once. It reminds me, <laughs> you don't know from such things, but when I was a kid, there was a, so a show called The Ed Sullivan Show on television. And there was a person they'd have on from time to time who was a plate spinner. What would he do is he would take like a dowel, okay, and he would take a plate, regular everyday china plate, and he would spin the plate on top of this dowel, okay, and he'd get it going. And then as soon as he got it going, he would put up, take another dowel and spin another plate. And then you go back and make sure the first one was spinning. And then you make go back sure and make the second one was spinning. Then he'd do a third one and make sure that that was getting spinning. And then you go one, two, three, and you get four, like six, all the way, like eight or ten of these plates were all spinning simultaneously. This is what you're, you're, <laughs> you have mastered the art of spinning tails, I guess, then, Reb David. Yes. Okay. So let's talk some about some of the books you sent me. You sent us a couple of books, and uh, I didn't want to be a pig and say, "Could you send us one of everything?" So um, I sent the ones which I thought would be the most uh, would, would generate the the most interest in them. Um, I want to start with it's a, a would probably be and anybody who um, lives or is not familiar with this person wouldn't know anything about this person, and that would be Mrs. Kazin from Cleveland. Okay, so I'm saying obscure because when I just say Mrs. Kazin from Cleveland, I would say probably 99.99% of the people listening to this show right now have no idea about whom I'm referring. So how is it that you picked Mrs. Kazin as a subject? So 
as someone who's constantly writing, I've met Mrs. Kazan, you know, four four times and interviewed her, you know, dur- during her lifetime, and she was, to say the least, a real, uh, you know, character, um, and fascinating. It was just it's just it's just like you met her, and she's just feisty. Um, she has her opinions, and she's in her nineties, and she's not. She's just running around, you know, run, running around the neighborhood. You know, if it's if it's doing someone a favor, buying stuff for her grandchildren. She she's not stopping until the middle of the night. People are coming to her house to ask advice, and I'm sitting there, and like there's the phone calls, like they're constantly coming. And she's you know running you know Cleveland uh, projects, which she still was doing in New York. So I've obviously met her when she's in New York already. Um, when she moves to New York, her husband is sick. And she and she moves to New York for her husband. She most definitely did not want to move to New York. She, that was that was something that she you know, so it was her sacrifice was to move her because her husband wasn't feeling so well and couldn't um, wasn't really mobile, so she had no choice but to move you know where her family is and where it's just easier to get to synagogues or to or to the store. Where in Cleveland you had to drive everywhere and her husband couldn't drive anymore, um, so they moved to New York and she and she's you know this active, extremely active woman who just works, you know, 16 to 18 hours a day. Um, and then from there, you know, it, it's an interesting story. The family is interested in, in, in working with you. because so ultimately you need the family's interest and working with you, meaning that they're willing to, to tell you, we, we are um, giving, letting out our, 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 our heart to you, our soul to you. Um, writing a book, a biography is, is extremely difficult, extremely heart-wrenching, as, as crazy as it sounds. Like, oh, like you're writing, oh, this is a wonderful person. I'm going to write something about the person. But you have to open up your heart and soul and, and reveal all different kind of things that not necessarily you're so comfortable with. Um, we all have different things that, you know, that we feel that our parents did that are, you know, interesting. She would run after people, uh, you know, if she ran to the school and, uh, and demanded and said, I'm not leaving this place until you accept this child, you know, to give him a Jewish education. Um, if she hounded people to, 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 to give money towards, uh, towards a Russian family who just landed in Cleveland, um, that's, that, that's what she did. And they, they, the family has to be willing. The family has to be willing to, um, to uh, say, yes, we want to do it. And that's, and that's, that's ultimately what it, what it takes. And I have to obviously find it, find it to be an interesting topic that I believe will, would, would, would work. And this is a, you know, the Queen of Cleveland is perhaps uh, about Robinson Shulokazin is truly a remarkable story, not just the story when she came to Cleveland, but even before her extremely difficult life um, from a very young age, we, you know, communists are running after her father and um, arrest him and she never saw him again. Um, and then to rebuilding, you know, her mother and her rebuilding her life. Okay, now the publication of this is actually a fascinating story. You had problems in the printing of the the Queen of Cleveland. Could you go into that, please? So I, so I, you know, to we print in China or in Asia for the most part, and it's interesting to, to you know why. You know, I for many years was printing here in the United States and Canada, um, and. It just it just proved to be like to work with the printers, and I'm talking about the largest printing companies. Um, Reuters has a has a printing press. Um, we worked with them, and it's it's uh, it's subpar. For some reason, they don't give you you know the, the the time of day to make sure 
that the book is of the quality that I that that, that I appreciate. You know, um, the books were coming out. You know, they just do whatever they want. They choose the paper. You know, they have a clause in the contract to just uh, say like, if we don't have the paper the morning that we're printing, we're just going to use the paper that we have. Um, so I was complaining to 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 a uh, a uh, uh, book author of my friend, and he's like. He's like, no, no, I'm going to find out where they print my books. That will never happen, like in the big world. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, we're working with the regular printers everyone else is working with. And she, he's like, no, it doesn't make sense. So he so he put me in touch with a publisher. The publisher says, yeah, like, you know, we, we print in China. And the, and the Chinese, you know, the printing, the publishing, the broker that I work with and, and the presses that they work with, they they do what they, what they say they're going to do. And they are, to say the least, um, you know, OCD to, to make sure that the book is going to come out, you know, the perfect. And, you know what I mean? If they see a line somewhere in the middle of the book on page 300 that they don't think is, should be there, they'll, they'll actually say, Hey, what's that, what's that line doing there? Most of the time it's nothing, but sometimes they, 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 they find things like, you know, like they, they, they find and they, they make sure that it's the best quality. And that's, and that's ultimately what I want. When I want someone to pick up my, my book, it's not just, you know, the story and that I want it to be an experience. I want that the, that people should feel that the book is of good quality. It's going to last a long time. They can pass it around to, you know, to many, many people. Um, it should be interesting. Some, every book is, 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 is done differently for me, you know, the biographies and the short story books. Um, so I print there and, and, you know, I mean, and besides for one more time, cause it's not necessarily the price so much, but more of the, for me, the quality. And then, so I've been printing in China and I have books, you know, speak about communism and they always, you know, the, the, the printer has their internal searches that they're searching for. And then they send it off. If they feel like it won't, you know, pass the sensor, they will automatically flag it, you know, let me know and say, listen, we're sending to the sensor like we always do, but we feel that this may be an issue. Um, and I've never had an issue for seven years, you know, with, with the books, but then I get an email uh, okay, like it, you know, I mean, the Queen of Cleveland, which speaks about you know the communists, the uh, you know for the first you know few hundred pages, it's speaking about you know what the Soviet Union and the communists there did to um, you know Rebison Kazin and her and their family, and she speaks very, very you know in detail of what she believes you know to be you know what the communists are, but it's still not the first time that I've written about you know against communism. Um, of, of what communism did to Jewish life in, in, in the country. And I would say, and I want to like, I don't, to put it in context to really understand. So communism, there, there, there was, a, you know, I mean, there was a civil war in this, in Russia around, it began 1917, but then it didn't until 19, 1922, 1923, it was starting to take foothold that, you know, of communism inside, you know, and, and the Soviet Union. Then, until around 1930, 1931, yes, they were, they were, you know, clamping down on Jewish life, but, you know, you figured out a way, you went underground, but over, you know, over on six, seven years, the communists murdered hundreds of rabbis um, and literally, like, shuttered the whole system. So you're talking about, like, they destroyed Jewish life or any, you know, in which many Chabad rabbis were you know, running, including Rev. Shula Kazin's father, they, it took around seven years to pretty much, you know, decimate Jewish life um, in, in the country and, you know, and murder, you know, 
the, the rabbis there. And it goes into more details in the book, which is a fascinating story. There's different, different you know, players involved, including some, you know, people who were forced by the communist Hasidic people who were, you know, who then had, you know, felt they had no choice to go around from community to community. And they informed the, the Soviet authorities. It's a very sad um, story, the, the whole story, how it happened. And it's all there in all, in all its gory details in, in, in the book. Um, but, they, but they told me after like, you know, two and a half weeks, which is like the initial uh, censor period, like, like, you know, yeah, we got to go ahead for it. So I said, fine, no problem. Like, you know, it's, it, it obviously takes much longer when you're printing in China, you're printing in America. In America, it could take, you know, you got a book within three or four weeks. If I'm doing it in China, it takes around four months. So you have to have a lot of patience for it, but it's worth it for the quality for me. Um, however, around, uh, you know, four weeks later, they say that the, 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 the Chinese, the censor said, you know, they need to go through more levels of, you know, of reading this, uh, this, this book. Um, and the reason they told me is because the China, cause China is getting more involved in the, in, in, in the war with Russia and they're being extra sensitive about that. So ultimately a week before the book is getting printed, they say the Chinese came back to them and said, you can't go to print. And it was like, you know, it's just hard because like you're waiting, you invested all this, you know, we invested so much funds into, into the book, everything's ready. And now it's taking another, you know, I mean, you're ready, you've, you know, paid for, for the printing because you have to pay in advance. And now you're not going to get the, bu- the book for another four and a half, five months, you know what I mean? Because they have to go figure out some other printer outside of, you know, China to go print it. So um, some people, some publishers in the past have said, okay, tell us what you don't like about it. You know, like, tell us, well, like, we'll, we'll take out some paragraphs. But I'm like, that's not happening because for me, the truth is what stands up. I'm not, you know, nothing's coming out of my book for, uh, for, you know, I mean, for, for anyone. So we chose to wait, and it just came just now, you know, it came eight months after it was sent to the printer, the book, which is a very long time. Um, okay, wow. Um, unfortunately, we are like running out of time really quick, and and to discuss the other two books, the other two books that I took just that I can review them very quickly. One was uh, Mendel Futterfass, who was a uh, when he was alive was a legend. I mean, people would he would walk into a room and people would just like be in awe of this person, someone who spent uh, his life dedicated to fighting communism, fighting for the causes and ideals of Chabad, and uh, traveled around the world. He used to come to Detroit every year for a month, so we had like uh, lots of privileges of hearing many, many, many stories from him. Here and uh, and the other one was somebody who was my hero, so the champion of kosher is, is Beryl Levy, who was uh, the one who who really got the okay and got kosher really like in line in this country. So those are two books that I recommend. If anybody wants to check out, how many books have you already published, David? There's around like twenty two books that that, that 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 I've published that you know published, but most of my most of my books never you know what I mean um, there's. I write biographies for families and it doesn't go outside the families, you know, um, but there's 22 books available. Um, you can, they're available purchase on Amazon. So it's dubbed Zach Lakowski, um, Z-A-K-L-I-K-O-W-S-K-I or available on com, H-A-S-I-D-I-C archives.com. Okay. And could you just maybe give us insight? You said 13 projects. Are you at liberty to tell us some of the things that you're working on now? Sure. So, I'm currently working on uh, a biography from uh, Mr. Efri Steinmetz. He was uh, the head of um, electronic company in uh, in Caracas, Venezuela. 
I'm working on a book about Rabbi Josephi, who was an activist in the Bar Park Jewish community. I'm working with a photographer um, from New York Times Magazine. He took the he he did a cover story about the about the Rebbe in 1992. Um, we're publishing his uh, his photos, which he took around 40,000 pictures while here in Crown Heights. So we are uh, working on publishing the photos and with essays to go along with them. Some of the people in the pictures, some of the people just to give background. Um, there'll be around 30 different essays, and we've the portraits of them. And then Mark Asman, the photographer, actually traveled around to Chabad houses for the past 14 years, and we are uh, working on that on publishing a book of uh, called Unconditional, which will um, be about Chabad houses, include the photos, interviews with the people. We're doing. Uh, Two books of a thought for a week should be coming out uh, soon from Rabbi Yitzhak uh, Mayor Kagan, um, who, uh, you know, pioneered your radio show, if I, if I understand mm-hmm, correctly. Indeed. So we've been doing that, and we're working on a biography about him. But, you know, currently, a thought for the week will be coming out, all of his uh, weekly uh, essays over um, 14 years will be coming out in two volumes, one on the weekly Torah reading and one on the holidays and different ideas that, that he wrote up. That's amazing. Okay. And all this kind of other stuff. Yes, indeed. Is now, going so on. you mentioned before that, that you just mentioned passing that you would do private things. So if I wanted a book about my Zeta or somebody out there listening says, you know, this guy's cool. I want to, I want him to write a book about my grandfather. Can they call you? So, I mean, anyone could call, you know, I'm pretty uh, booked up for three or four years. So, but I encourage every single person to go ahead and uh, if their, if their grandfather still alive get 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 a tape recorder your grandmother I, your grandmother's still alive you know your, your great aunt your aunt get a tape recorder and sit down with them um if you have zoom i would do on zoom even more than in person because people especially when it's an emotional story people have a much easier time speaking through zoom than through uh through face-to-face some people older people may want face-to-face that's fine a lot of people when they had a disconnect, they could speak about more emotional material. Keep in mind that emotions, stories, that's what's interesting. Very little, you know, genealogy. Um, I, I just had a meeting with um, with Mr. Brent from the Evo Society, and he tells me that Jenny, which a lot of people love, is like, you know, is 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 the way, it's called a cop-out of, of, uh, of doing history. You know, your genealogy is very important, but what did that grandfather do? How did that influence your family? How didn't it influence your family? Why? You know, every single story that someone asks you tells you an idea, never forget to ask why. What was going through your mind? That's important, but every single person should do that. So anyone wants to write a biography or feels that something's good, you got to start now and just get the stories now and from your parents, from your, you know, your mothers, your grandmothers. I think that, that we, need a, we need to get more you know, Shula Kazen books out there. More, more women to speak up. They have a totally different narrative of, of, of what happened. It's so much it's interesting. And uh, to me, this is, uh, I would say, I obviously, when I write a book about, you know, great rabbis or even not such great rabbis, I'm always including about the wives and mothers. But it's my, it's my very first, you know, biography about a woman, um, a, a rabbison, who basically ran the programs in, in, in Cleveland. Um, and it's, it's uh, yeah, truly fascinating story, and I hope to do many more like that. Um, 
Yeah. So okay. I would say everyone could do it. Gather the documents. Do not throw the documents out of your parents' house. I beg you. And always treat old pictures kindness. Never leave any documents or pictures in a basement. Please, that's the worst thing you could ever do. You know, if you could buy an archival box, you have books, pictures more than 70, 80 years old, go online, buy an archival box, stick it in an archival box, and make sure it's in the air-conditioned room without so much heat. There you go. Okay, that's going to do it for us. Our guest today has been L'chaim. Rebbe David Zach Lekowski. It's such an honor to speak to you. <laughs> if you want to get in touch, you want to see what's doing, uh, sample, peruse some of the works. It's, it's www.hasidic, with an H, hasidicarchives.com. David Zaklikovsky, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. Oh, it's my honor. Be well. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfiman, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. He's an amazing person. I told him when I started out, I'm in awe of him. The fact that anybody could be sitting and working on 13 projects simultaneously. Wow. Okay. Up next, we're going to listen to some music just to like, uh, this is upbeat music, but this is just to cool down. The <laughs> the artist is Yaakov Israel. The song is Hakol Tov Achi. Everything's, for, everything's good, my friend. God wants it to happen the way it happened.
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Show. Up next, for your listening pleasure, this is, is an interesting song. The artist is Aaron Sitbaum, who's a French who was a French recording star back in the 70s, and then he decided to get involved with religion. So he took a song that he had written when, before he was religious, and he put Jewish words to it now and re-released the same tune. The song is now called Or Be'enai, The Light of My Eyes.
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Hey, Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, we are reading the portion of Yisro. It is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 18 and following. Most of the portion focuses on the giving of the Torah, which is like hoo-ha. That's like central to Judaism. The beginning of the portion talks about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and the piece of advice that Jethro gave to Moses. What was happening? So Moses came down the mountain. He's got the second. He's got the ta- the second tablets. They build. They're they're stuck aside, and he's got all kinds of cases to adjudicate. This one wants this. This one wants that. This one's claiming this. This one's claiming that. And people are standing around all day waiting for their case to come before Moses. Yisro says that's not right. You need to have a judicial system. So for the easier cases, you should get like a judge of 10 for ones that are a little harder. You get a judge of 50, then the harder ones are a judge of 100, and then the real harder ones would be judges of 1,000. And then any case that the judge of 1,000, that he's a hoo-ha judge already, you do, then you take it, Moses. Then you can head it. So your court case will drop down, if you figure out the math, by by, uh, you'll have one sixty-two thousand five hundredth of the cases that you're handling right now. That's a, that's a big drop. So what do, what do we learn from this thing? That's very nice. It's a nice story. Thank you very much. You came up with this idea. Hey, buddy, you need help. We are adjudicating cases all day long from the moment that the alarm clock goes off, do I hit the snooze button, do I get out of bed, to do I turn off the remote and go to sleep or do I watch the 11 o'clock news? I mean, and everything in between. So some things are easy, and you have to understand it is not really this is you shouldn't be like spending an ordinate amount of time on things that are easing are are easy. Do I want the peanut butter? Do I want the almond butter? No, nah, I don't waste time with such things. Some things are monumental. Do I stay where I am, or do I sell my house and my move? So we understand that we have to put and and prioritize our things, and not to ruminate and spend times and, and agonize. Don't sweat the small stuff, as they say. You know, just get that out of the way. I heard a very interesting thing this week about somebody who was quite a prolific author. And they asked him, how is it that you were able to write so much? It's like a lot. And he said, I didn't ask for perfection. It's just there was so much in my head. I just had to get it out. Is it perfect? No. If it was perfect, I'd get one thing done. It's kind of like, sort of like uh, David Zaklikovsky was mentioning. He can't do just one thing. It's just like there's too much of a focus. It just becomes too stifling. You have to expand your horizons. You have to move out. You have to grow. That's what we learned from the portion. Uh, we are in February. 
Thank you very much. It's a new month. I got good news for you. January was paid off. Yay! So now I want you to go to Jewish Ferndale. Uh, excuse me, not Jewish Ferndale. You can go to JewishFerndale.com too. But um, go to RabbiFinman.com and you'll see there all the different wonderful things that we have over there. We have, of course, archived editions of the show. We have archived editions of various ways in which we present Judaism. We also have the very much needed donations page because it's a new month. We have a new bill. We have to pay Salem Communications for the, allowing us to be uh, able to put this out all over the world for you to listen to. And it costs money. And we've been doing it for 28 years. This is going to be our February. we ending our 29th year? No, 28th year, yes. We started in 1994. This is 2023. So at the end of February, we will have completed 28 years of bringing hopefully quality listening to you. And it must work because we're still here. So go to RabbiFinman.com, donate any amount, make it a monthly donation. It's all very easy. And it could be little, a lot of times. It could be a lot, a little times. It could be a lot, a lot of times. Whatever, however it is that you want to do it, that's fine. Don't like internet giving? Well, drop your contribution to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Speaking of 1725 Pinecrest Drive, that's Jewish Ferndale. So you'll go to Jewish Ferndale and you'll notice that we have lots of things going. Coming up on February the 16th, we have Rabbi Baruch Cohen talking about the mysticism of Safat. This is part of the month, the, the one-a-month one lecture on the city of Safat. The one in January, Rabbi Finkelman, the uh, failed Sanhedrin. Unbelievable. That's archived at, at uh, facebook.com slash rabbi.finman. And you can watch that one. It was amazing, let me tell you. So we hope to bring quality programming for, throughout the course of the year. And the, uh, the list is posted there on uh, Jewish Ferndale and it's posted on, on .com and it's posted on my Facebook page, which is RabbiFinman.com. So go there. Okay, quick story. 1946, there was a uh, treaty made with the Poles and the Russians. There were a lot of refugees that fled Nazi uh, invasion and went into Russia. And uh, the Russians didn't want them. They get rid of these Poles. So they made a deal that anybody having a Polish passport was at, would have free passport, which free transport into Poland. So there were a lot of Russians that said, boy, if I got a Polish passport... I would, whoa, okay. And indeed, there was a whole, they're called the echelons. And there were four train loads of Russians who managed to sneak out of Russia on four Polish passports. <clears throat> Let's jump across the ocean. The the home of the Friedeke Rebbe. I'm not exactly sure when this was, if it was like the middle of the night or when, whatever. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was not well by the time he came to America. He had been beaten and brutalized and just his health was really, he was suffering from MS at that point in the 40s. He had had a stroke already. And uh, 1946, his nurse called the son-in-law, the previous who became the Rebbe, they called, at that point they called him the Ramash, 
that the she tried to to talk to the Rebbe, but the Rebbe is not talking. He's just like he's, his lips are moving, and it's like so maybe he's having another stroke. So the Rebbe. The, the the Rebbe went and listened to the previous Rebbe and put his hand his ear next to his mouth and heard that he was saying Oz Yoshir, which was the song which the Jews sang after the sea was split. And he was saying it when he finished it, he started over. And when he was finished, he started over. So the Rebbe said, He's he's okay. Just leave him alone. And the Rebbe sat there for I don't know how long it took, and the Rebbe was like the previous Rebbe was just like in another world saying this song over and over and over again. And then finally, it was like he woke up, he came to, and he said, they went through. It was found that during the time that the Rebbe was saying this was when the train was at the Russian-Polish border and the train was being gone through. And when the Rebbe stopped saying, Oz Yosher, was when the train was allowed to pass through. Everybody got through safely. That's going to do it. We hope we have a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Soy de